0: Welcome to the Caledonia Baptist Church Sermons Podcast. Caledonia Baptist Church is a small biblical church located in Caledonia, Mississippi. We believe in expository preaching. So join us for this sermon as we go verse by verse and see what the scripture has to say to us. Amen. So this morning got a text about 612 that I read at about 7 o'clock um brother kelby is under the weather not feeling well so y'all be praying for him that he recovers quickly but all true preachers must be ready that's what the bible says right right be ready in season out of season you know what that actually means be ready when it's convenient and when it's not convenient but to me the thought of it is i always love to be preaching to my church i love you guys so I went and looked, and uh, I see a word that is fitting to where we are right now. We're not going to continue in John for this week, and probably not next week as well. Brother Kelby has something else planned. So let's dig into a question that we can answer this morning. What do we preach? What do we preach? John MacArthur has a great quote. Um, it's convicting. It's convicting. I don't know that it's so much convicting for our church because of how our church, are, how our church people are about the word of God and the gospel. But to the visible church, which is those who attend churches, it might be a little convicting. He says, the church is so ignorant about the gospel that when you preach the true gospel, you're very liable to be vilified for it by the church. And I think this is a very interesting quote. John MacArthur is a very in-your-face kind of guy which I like. It works for me. But it speaks to me more about ignorance of what the teachings of the church should be, what should be taught in the visible church, the churches that are meeting right now with us around the world on the Lord's Day. Many, according to videos and surveys that I have seen, have no idea how to articulate the gospel. They don't know how to tell you what it is. I want to make sure that we all here understand what we preach and what we teach and maybe a little bit of why we do it. Um, Let's go to the Word. If you will turn to 1 Timothy chapter 4. We're going to start with verses 11 through 16. Now, there will be a lot of scripture in here, and I read from the ESV. If you can keep up with me, keep up. If not, um, I'd be more than willing to email you my notes so you can see all of them. Uh, But we're going to be doing some, there's going to be some uh, onion pages flipping uh, this morning. I I, I, I like ones like this because I know that if there's more scripture than me, then it's probably a pretty good sermon. But now hear the infallible, inspired word of God, 1 Timothy 4, verses 11 through 16. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture May God bless His word. Let me reread verse 16 to you. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by doings, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Now this is Paul writing to Timothy, training him how to preach, teach, lead a church, And do what God has called him to do as an elder in a church. That's what's happening. Notice some of the interesting things he says. Devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, which is what Dusty did this morning. To exhortation, which is what I'm doing right now. To teaching, which is what we do on Wednesday nights and Sunday mornings. These are the things that make up what we should be doing in the church and what the elders of this church should be doing. Keep a watch to stick to the teaching. What does scripture tell tell us the teaching of the church should be? Well, based on my reading and study of the scriptures, I want to tell you what I believe it is. I believe it can be summarized in three things. Doctrine, theology, and the gospel. Doctrine, theology, and the gospel. Let's start with doctrine. Titus 2.1 says, But as for you, teach what accords with sound doctrine. In speaking to elders of a church or pastors, it's the more commonly used term for an elder in a church these days is pastor. Paul says to teach sound doctrine. Notice what he doesn't say. Teach fun sermons. Teach cool things. No, he says teach sound doctrine. First Timothy. Paul says to Timothy again, If anyone teaches a different doctrine and does not agree with the sound words of our Lord Jesus Christ and the teaching that accords with his godliness, he's warning. He's warning. There may be many who do this in his day. And guess what? There are many who do it today. They teach what makes them more money. What makes the parking lots fill up? What makes the seats be full? We teach doctrine here. Doctrines that line up with Scripture. Not fads. Not trendy things that folks want to hear. One example of a doctrine that we believe is the key doctrine of the Reformation, It's the key doctrine of our church, of any Believer, this should be one of your key doctrines, is this, the doctrine of justification. We believe this solidly in our church. I think it's best described in the five solas. The five solas are the, are the, are the five tenets that are used to describe the doctrine of justification for the believer. You'll recognize them once I give them not in Latin. In Latin they are sola gratia, sola fide, solus Christus, sola scriptura, soli deo gloria. Beautiful words, but let me give them to you in English. We are saved by grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone, according to his scripture alone, solely for the purpose to glorify God alone. That's the doctrine of justification. That's something that we believe solidly here. It lines up solidly with what is taught in the early church. It is throughout Scripture. We see that justification comes not from my ability to do anything good. It comes only by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. Because guess what? Christ did the work, and he did it better than you could do it. Other doctrines that we believe are inspiration and authority of Scripture. We believe... That the Word of God is inspired. The men who wrote it, all 40-something, over 1,500 years, wrote one of the most cohesive documents in all of history that lines up completely. Why? Because the Holy Spirit breathed it through them. We believe in the doctrine of the Trinity. We believe in one God. One in essence, three in persons. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. If your kids come on Wednesday nights, ask them what the Trinity is, and I bet you they can tell you, because that's what they're being taught on Wednesday nights. We believe in the doctrine of Christ's deity. That one sounds like an easy one, right? But guess what? In the early church, they fought it hard. They said he was a man. In fact, more, more recently, a very famous preacher's wife got up and said this. Jesus was just a man until God put the Spirit In him that's heresy God Jesus Christ is 100% God 100% man and we believe that with 100% of our hearts by teaching sound doctrine our hope is that we will steer people away from false doctrines these false doctrines are so prevalent in the modern visible church because it seems like it's cool to say things that sound different and challenge the old traditions well guess what the old traditions have it right J.C. Ryle said since I'm required by law to give a quote by J.C. Ryle in this pulpit we should no more tolerate false doctrine than we should tolerate sin 2nd Timothy 4 3 through 4 says for the time is coming when people will not endure sound teaching But have itching ears. They will accumulate for themselves teachers to suit their own passions and will turn away from listening to the truth and wander off into myths. There's a lot of myths out there right now. There's a lot of people who would rather follow something that they like and something that's exciting and fun, makes them feel good. They'd rather follow that than follow the word of God. But we believe that the word of God is truth. Sound doctrine comes directly from the word of God. So as we step out of doctrine, let's step into theology. Now, let me explain the difference between doctrine and theology because we equate them a lot. The difference between doctrine and theology is fairly simple. Doctrine is specific tenets and points of theology. Okay, it's. It's individualized things, like like we said, the doctrine of justification, the doctrine of the deity of Christ. Those things are specific. It's teaching that accords with who God truly is as he is revealed in Scripture. Theology literally means study of God. Theos, God. Ology, study of. It's a study of God. It is knowing God, who he truly is. It's more, of a vast, it's more vast of a study than doctrine, but doctrine does follow, fall into theology. We do theology here. Whether you realize it or not, we do it here. If you come on Wednesday nights, you'll definitely know we do theology here. Because we've had some really awesome deep discussions on Wednesday nights. Which I encourage you to give your 2% and come visit us. If you don't listen to theology, that won't mean you have no ideas about God. It will mean you have a lot of wrong ones. That's what C.S. Lewis said. If you don't listen to theology, that won't mean you have no ideas of God. It will mean you have a lot of wrong ones. That's so true. We must know our God, the real God. What does not knowing the true God mean? lead us to let me give you a quote from somebody who is actually doing theology you'll be interested in another theologian's name when i give you this quote this is the theology of our day are you ready i don't have a religion i believe in a god i don't know what it looks like but it's my god my own interpretation of the supernatural the theologian who said this was Jennifer Aniston from Friends, But it is a prevailing theology in our day. So the, 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 the quote you may hear you may see uh, is, "I don't need doctrine and theology. I just need Jesus." It doesn't lead any place good. And usually, when somebody says that and you ask them, "Well, who's Jesus?" guess what they start doing? Theology. Well, he's the incarnate son of God. Okay, you're doing theology. We all have it. The key is to have correct theology based on scripture, based on the knowledge of the word of God, because God reveals himself to us only through his word. It doesn't work to just say, I don't need doctrine and theology, I just need Jesus, because you're going to end up with a bad theology just like Jennifer Aniston. Because we will, we will think something about God, and it will either be true or false. But scriptural theology tells us exactly who God is as far as we are able to understand. We must know God, our triune God, one in essence, three in persons. That's the true God. That's the one we need to know. That's the one scriptural theology will point us to every time. Some think that theology is too hard for the everyday Christian to grasp it's too hard we don't need to go into theology because it's too hard for everybody i think personally that that is one of the most insulting things i've ever heard about the people of god that you are too simple to understand who god is that is so insulting i was once told about my preaching to keep it simple positive so anyone off the street could understand then they said don't answer any questions that no one is asking what a weak way to preach and teach the Word of God that is here's an example that we all need to ponder okay think upon this okay it'll help us to understand what I'm saying here in the modern church let's look at the youth group as it is kind of made up in the youth group We teach positive messages in the youth group, right? You guys have gone to those churches, maybe if you've been in a youth group, you've been taught those positive messages that are fun. Uh, Then we need to baby them by not giving them anything deeper than surface level lessons, right? Uh, And then we embarrass them with immature icebreakers and stupid games. That's what we do in the modern youth group. How do I know this? I was a youth pastor before I was a pastor. And that is if we bring them to church at all instead of the many activities that they're involved in. Then, they graduate high school. And they go to college. And a professor treats them like an adult. With a fully developed brain. He teaches them hard things. And then guess what he does? He expects them to learn learn those things because they can learn those things. And we wonder college-age people are leaving the church in droves because they're given a message that's dumbed down and funny and embarrassing and then they go to college and instantly they're treated like adults who are they gonna believe who are they gonna believe and they start to believe the man or the woman who's who's telling them these really deep things with an incorrect worldview at times The one who actually challenges their minds and treats them like they're smart enough to get it. And they have no Christian defense. How not to go too far on a date and drinking nasty things and a goofball buddy, the elf youth pastor who wants to be hip and their best buddy, has not equipped them for the intellectual challenges of an atheist or agnostic that they're going to face when they grow up that agnostic is gonna say something so smart and they're gonna say Jesus loves you bro okay we need to be able to to teach our children and whose job do I think that is yes it's the church but guess what it's the parents we have done generations of young people a great disservice For us to avoid the things that are too hard or too deep is to insult the intelligence of every church member. And that is why we don't stay away from that stuff here. We go deeper. If something is too deep or needs further explanation, guess what? We go into it. And when do we go into it? On Wednesday nights. We dig in. And guess what? Sometimes we don't agree. And guess what? That's okay. That's okay. Because we're challenging our minds. Because guess what? Is Christianity a heart religion? Absolutely. But guess what? There's 18 inches and it needs to go to your mind too. You need to understand the word of God and who he is and the truth of it. I personally and Brother Kelby would agree here as well. Trust the members of Caledonia Baptist Church to be able to learn new things. Even hard things. That's why we are all here, right? Not to feel good, although I usually feel good when I leave here. Not to just check the box that I went. Not to be entertained with a light show, smoke show, glitter coming out of the vents, uh, somebody jumping on a great big couch, none of that. We're here to learn about our God through the study and exposition of Scripture. We sing the Word. We read the Word. We pray the Word. And we preach the word all to worship and glorify God as our purpose. And that's it. So the last thing that we preach here is the most important thing that we preach here. The gospel. I define the gospel in four steps because of a wonderful book that helped me immensely to articulate the gospel better, to tell people what it is better. And I think it's easy to learn to do it this way. God, man, Christ, response. That's the gospel. God, man, Christ, response. 1 Corinthians 1, 22 through 24 says this. For Jews demand signs and Greeks seek wisdom. But we preach Christ crucified. A stumbling block to the Jews and folly to the Gentiles. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks... Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. This is our message in this church. It should be the message in every church. It is not something that we hear enough of. Guess what? Just because you've been saved a long time doesn't mean you've heard the gospel enough. You need to preach the gospel to yourself every day. It's the only hope to a lost, dead world. It is the power of God unto salvation. It is our great commission. It's the center of the church. It's the center of the Christian. The gospel of Jesus Christ. So, let's go through what the gospel is. We started out with God, right? God, man, Christ response. God, Genesis 1-1. If you don't memorize any other verse, this one's pretty easy. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created all things. Therefore, if God created all things, he has rights as creator and ruler over all things. Why? Because they're his things. That leads us to... Man. God made man in his own image, right? And he put him in the garden. And he said one thing. Don't do one thing. Don't eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And what happened? That's the very thing they did. Man fell in Adam. And because of that, from birth, we are born in sin. How do we know this? Psalm 51 5 tells us, behold, I was brought forth in iniquity, and in sin did my mother conceive me. Psalm 58:3 says, the wicked are estranged from the womb, they go astray from birth speaking lies. And if you think about it, look at your children, first time they do something bad and you get on them, and they can articulate something, you say, did you do that? And what did Nikki say, Junior? No, I didn't do that. Right? That's the first thing they do is lie. We're all in sin, folks. That is the the doctrine of total depravity that Brother Kelby mentioned last week that we talked a little bit more about on Wednesday night. That's total depravity. We are totally depraved. Romans 5.12 says, Therefore, just as sin came into the world through one man and death through sin, And so death spread to all men because all sinned. I know some people think, well, it's not fair. we got to suffer for Adam's sin. Well, guess what, buddy? You're not innocent here. You are in sin yourself. And listen to me carefully. Because I want to keep you out of wearing yourself out trying to work your way into this. We can't just be a good person because of one reason. There's one reason we can't be a good person and and everything will be fine. Because we aren't good people. Jesus himself said, there is none good but God. You're not good. We do not have the ability to follow God's law. How do we know this? Because as he was given the law, the children of Israel were breaking them. We can't. We will never be righteous enough on our own to save ourselves. And no matter who tells you that you can, you can't. And that leaves us one place. We are in trouble. We are in desperate trouble. Because if I can't save myself, then I need something outside of myself to save me. And I'm so glad that the next step in the gospel is Christ. We must have a mediator. Someone between us and a holy God. And Christ came. He is the incarnation Of God, God in flesh, God the Son, all God, all man. He is the spotless lamb. No other lamb is spotless but him. Ephesians 1, 7 through 10 says, In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight making known to us the mystery of his will according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in him, things in heaven and things on earth. I want us to understand something very clearly. The incarnation of Christ. Him living a sinless life, him being accused, being tortured, beat, having a crown of thorns put upon his head, being nailed to a cross, staying there six hours and dying while God was pouring out wrath upon him because he had taken all of our sins upon himself. This was not plan B. This wasn't, oh, we got to do something. They messed up. That wasn't plan B. It was plan A all along. And thus, let me give you a theological term the doctrine of pactum salutis. Pactum salutis. This is the doctrine that states that there is an eternal pact of salvation according to Herman Babnick, between the Trinity. Have you ever wondered why Christ is the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world? Because it was always the plan. The plan of redemption was shed forth before God even said, let there be light. There was a plan of salvation, and it wasn't plan B, it was plan A. God the Son was always going to complete the work of redemption. The penal substitutionary atonement needed to take our sins and make us adopted sons and daughters had to always come through him. Some would call it cosmic child abuse, that God would have to kill his son to save his people. That's just cosmic child abuse. Well, here's the issue with cosmic child abuse. Child abuse is never voluntary. And Christ said, no man takes my life from me, but I lay it down. Only through Christ can we be saved. But thanks be to God that through Christ we can be saved. You see, the wonder is not that only some are saved and some are not. The wonder is that any are saved at all because we are all cosmic treasonists. We all commit cosmic treason against the holy God who created us and has rule over us. And he has made the way through his own suffering to save us. The last step is response. What is our response? Last week, Brother Kelby clearly expressed it in three words. Turn to Christ. That's the response. To go further scripturally, it's a few different things. It's regeneration. Ezekiel 36, 26 says, And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put in you, and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. We desperately need a new heart. We need a new heart. We need to be brought back to life through Christ and the work of the Holy Spirit. I don't need to just fix a few things in my life and get a few things straight, because I never will. I need a brand new heart. Those who say follow your heart are giving you really bad advice because the Bible says that the heart is wicked and deceitful and who can know it. What we need is heart transplant and through the work of the Holy Spirit we get that the second thing the second part of that is this saving faith listen to this listen to this in Ephesians 2 8 9 for by grace you have been saved through faith that sounds familiar and this is not your doing it is the gift of God not a result of works, so that no one may boast faith Saving faith is a gift of God. It's all of Him. It is His doing. Because dead people don't choose to believe in something. We were dead in our trespasses, and God has made us alive through Christ Jesus. Next is repentance. We have a time of confession of sin here, and assurance of pardon, which is a wonderful thing for a church to have because... We sin. Acts 17, 30 through 31, one of the greatest sermons ever given. The times of ignorance God overlooked. But now he commands all people everywhere to repent. Because he has fixed a day on which he will judge the world in righteousness by a man, whom he has appointed, and of this he has given assurance to all by raising him from the dead. This means real repentance. Real repentance. Not feeling kind of guilty. It means real repentance. It's more than that. It is this. We acknowledge our sin. We turn from it. We seek God's forgiveness, and then we do our best never to return with the help of the Holy Spirit. It's not just turning around. It's turning around, leaving, and and never trying to go back. That's repentance. And lastly, we trust in Christ. Christ must be our Lord. We must place our hope, trust, and obedience, and everything else in him. Because it'll all be imperfect. But Christ is perfect. His work is perfect. And he has done the work perfect. Luke 14, 27 says, Whoever does not bear his own cross and come after me cannot be my disciple. We must give our lives to him and trust him fully. So now that we've defined the gospel, let me tell you what the gospel is not. The gospel is not your testimony. That's not the gospel. The gospel is definitely not health and wealth because guess what? We're going to be sick and broke sometimes. The gospel is not a set of actions that you can live in front of people to convince them that God is real. The gospel is not creation revealed to everyone. The gospel is not being super giving and super nice. The gospel is not that God loves you and has a wonderful plan for your life. Does he love you and have a wonderful plan for your life? Yep, and it may be just like Stephen's plan to get stoned for the gospel. That was the wonderful plan he had for his life. Or like John, to be boiled and then put on an island by himself. That may be the plan. But guess what? He does have, love you and have a wonderful plan for your life, but it ain't the gospel. The gospel is God, man, Christ response. Leonard Ravenhill said, The only people who want to change the gospel are those who are unchanged by it. And he's probably right. We preach the do- doctrines of the Bible and theology. Of the one true God and the gospel of Jesus Christ, and and that's all we need to preach here. Nothing else. We don't need anything else. We need the gospel. We need doctrine and theology that's sound and true. And we do that by going verse by verse by verse by verse and preaching all of it. Why? Because it's all good. I encourage you and challenge you this morning to learn these things. Study these things. Challenge your mind with these things. Read and know your word. You see, because Christ and his gospel are the only hope that we have to offer to the world. It's the only hope for anyone. It saved us, and it can save others. Let's preach it. Thanks for joining us for this sermon. We hope you enjoyed it. Join us next week as we continue going verse by verse into God's word. Solo Scriptura, Soli Deo Gloria.